Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. Good morning, guys. Aaron, I have a question for you. Sir, yes, sir. How much did you drink last night? I drank a lot last night. Why do you ask? Because you didn't bring the energy to that hello. It, it is... It is, you know, we're not recording on our regular day. You know, I'm a little out of sorts. I had to work all day yesterday, so I'm recording on Sunday instead of Saturday. I'm just, I'm out, of, I'm out of my groove. We have no you allowance know, for that here on Funny Books. You know, Paul, the real question isn't how much did he drink last night. It's why hasn't he drank yet this morning? That's where <laughs> that his a, energy comes from. That that's a good one. That is a really good question, and, and I, I will tell you that I'm drinking a virgin cup of coffee. Oh. Uh, yeah, and this is this is quite possibly a huge mistake. Yeah, it's already feeling like a mistake. Yeah, yeah that explains everything. I'm sorry. But you know what wasn't a mistake, Paul? Uh, I don't know. You know, all I got to say, New York City, Paul, is for lovers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we did not record last week because Paul and I were at uh, Mission New York, the Star Trek 50th anniversary convention uh, in beautiful scenic New York City. Uh, weather was was beautiful the entire time we were there. And, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, I spent, uh, what, four days in New York City and came home with my bottom sore. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so <laughs> it, it's hard to tell this story without a visual. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't realize it was Aaron's first. I don't want that visual, Paul. <laughs> Not that story. <laughs> the story I'm about to tell. So we're walking through. We didn't realize until I think the later in the evening on the first night that we were staying about a block and a half away from Times Square. Um, you know, so we're we're walking back to to our hotel, and you know, it's Aaron's first time in New York, which I did not realize. And um, you know, there there is a a gentleman's club in Times yeah. Square <laughs> uh, called Lace Lace Gentleman's Club. And, you know, like many things in New York, there's a barker outside, you know, like one of those guys who's like, strippers, come in. And, uh, you know, like from dusk till dawn. And um, so he sees us and he's like, guys, we have strippers, come in. And we say, well, no, no. And I think it's important to note, you know, it is shoulder to shoulder pedestrian traffic. At 1130 right? on Thursday night. Thursday night. Right. And I mean, it is it is just as as crowded as it can be. And, you know, he's handing out just like in Vegas, he's handing out, you know, coupons for, you know, coming into the into, into the club. And he's like, hey, guys, uh, you know, live nude girls. Right. And we're like, yeah, you know, we're good. We're, we're good. We and walk past pa him. Yeah. We keep walking. Right. You did not give it a second thought until until he goes flying midgets. And we go, no. whoa, 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 whoa. And flying Flying midget strippers, he says. <laughs> Flying it's, midget strippers. And Paul that might be and the I, most awesome sentence I've ever heard. Paul and I stop dead in our tracks, both of us. And pa Paul is a good, you know, two paces ahead of me as we're walking through, through the crowd. And I mean, it, it, it is very much a slowly I turn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and you could, and he, and he goes, if they don't jump into your lap, they fly. And he does like the Superman flying. With his arms. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Paul, Paul and I are just like, you're going to have to say that again. <laughs> yeah. Flying midget strippers. And Paul and I are like, do we? <laughs> How do you not? I mean, that's the greatest sentence ever. <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, so we start live. We start laughing. And, you know, the guy starts laughing with us because it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, on top of the flying midget strippers. There were naked women walking around Times Square with bikinis painted on. 
Like yeah. about a dozen of them. Yeah. You know, you had your uh, skeezy Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had a bunch of Disney characters and like not official Disney costumes. It was uh, yeah. it was a fun experience. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. there was a convention. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and, and I, I we want to hear the story about the flying midget strippers. That you'll you have win, to get, didn't you? You'll have to get that our, and our video for, uh, on our uh, fee-paying member site. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> where we where we deeply interview. <laughs> The sad thing is I I would pay to hear this story. (laughs) That would be worth it. I would subscribe. Paul and I chose not to go in. And uh, I will tell you that my wife has has, uh, harangued me about that ever since. I can't believe you didn't go. That was a a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. (laughs) I I would have gone in. They'll still be there next time we go. (laughs) (sighs) So, Paul, did you get the uh, survey from uh, Mission New York? I did. I have not filled it out yet, though. I have never been quite so verbose in a survey response. Really? Yeah, I, I was, uh, and, and you know, and not not critical, but you know, it asked for things like, "What did you like? Uh, what can we do better?" That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I I think we should we should start off our review of Star Trek Mission New York, or I'll start off my review of Star Trek Mission New York, saying I had a blast. Yes, I had I had a great big huge time. Uh, the, we were there both with media passes as well as the VIP passes that we paid for. And I have had VIP passes at conventions before, uh, but I will tell you that this is the first time that I truly felt like a VIP. Um, you know, there, that there is something super cool about being walked to your events uh, yeah. You know, we, we were walked to the VIP lounge and the VIP lounge was extremely comfortable. It was a wonderful place to be if you just want to get away from the noise. Gigantic room. Um, we were walked to the show fo- floor and given early access. Uh, and though I did not avail myself of this opportunity, you, you could have been walked to the panels, you know, in the main hall. Yes. Um, so I, all, all of that was super cool. Um, I, 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 I am a big panel guy. I, that is the thing I love most about conventions. Um, I attended some of the best panels I've ever attended. Um, I particularly enjoyed the Star Trek novel writers panel, uh, where they had a number of current and past Star Trek novel writers, uh, talking about the past, present, and future of Star Trek novels. And I, I love me some Star Trek novels. And I, it, it was nice to be able to hear them talk, to ask them a question. Uh, one of the questions I asked is, you know, I don't have nearly as much time for uh, reading for pleasure as I used to, particularly because of my weekly commitment to reading comic books. I don't have a whole lot of time to read novels anymore. And so uh, what I do is I try to cram in my novel reading experience, and I'll throw reading up in air quotes, uh, is by using audiobooks, like when I'm in driving or sitting in an airport or what have you. Uh, they have only recently started releasing Star Trek novels in an unabridged format, and I just can't bear to, to – to listen to a book that's abridged, you know, take a, a book that would typically read at 14 hours and cram it down to two. That just sounds terrible to me. So I, you know, I thank them for doing that because they're doing that with the current Star Trek Legacies series. And, uh, you know, they said that, yes, they, they've got more of those coming and they're looking to release, uh, to re-release 
previously written books, like you know some of the ones you know from pocket books back in the day, uh, in full unabridged recording. So I'm super excited to hear that. Yeah, that was but. Cool. Yeah, but I love the panels. You know, I, I went to the Deep Space Nine cast reunion panel. That was that was a fantastic panel. Uh, and I gotta tell you, Nana visitor Terry Farrell still bringing the heat, still bringing the heat. Uh, the TNG, <laughs> in fact, Paul, <laughs> Paul and I go to the Next Generation cast reunion, and they get to the Q and A section of the of the panel, and this guy stands up. And he says, yeah, I only have one question. And he turns around. I forget her name. but We'll call her Sabrina. Sabrina, will you marry me? And the crowd just is up on its feet. You know, everyone's applauding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the the, the next generation cast, you've got, you know, Michael Dorn up there, Marina Sirtis, uh, uh, Gates McFadden, LeVar Burton, and uh, Jonathan Frakes. They all go run into the edge of the stage so they can see. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, Gates McFadden and Marina Sardis kind of wince. And Jonathan Frakes, with his microphone on, turns around to LeVar Burton and he's like, ooh, it's not going well. The girl apparently says no and runs out the door. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yeah. yeah. In front yeah. of – which I found out in front of about 5,000 people. 5,000 people in that room. I mean – and I mean, they all kind of walk, they all kind of walk, you know, ooh, ooh, you know, kind of like you, it, was a, it was a big car accident or something and, yeah. and continue taking questions. Now, what I wish that I had been in line so I could have been the next person to ask a question. So I could have said, hi, I'm Aaron from Texas. I just have one question. Paul, would you marry me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was an inter, now it was a good panel. In, I wouldn't say in spite of that, but because I wouldn't, or because of that, that added to the experience. Yeah, no, no, it was a great. I mean, I, I feel bad for that guy and his pain, but uh, you know, dude, <laughs> yeah. it was it, it. It made for a very interesting. I mean, I, Paul and I were walking out there, going, "Holy crap!" <laughs> it was. It was who who. You know, it's funny. I, um, so I'm going to plug our YouTube channel here because uh, YouTube.com slash Ideology of Madness because I did film our immediate re reaction to yeah. that experience and it's on one of the videos. Oh, I need to find that. <laughs> yeah, there's about <laughs> five videos from our weekend, including one of my favorite parts was the craft beer tasting. Yes. See, I've always wondered with those public uh, you know, proposals – how many times does the woman say yes just not to be embarrassed? Oh, right. And then and after it's no over, yeah. you'd be like, no, no, no. Well, you know, I, I just I, – I, I feel like he, uh, you know, grossly misread what her coming to the Star Trek convention meant, you know? <laughs> just who, who. But, uh, yeah, Paul, tell us about the, uh, the beer tasting. So off-site, about three-quarters of a mile off-site – the Federation of Beer and Schmaltz Brewing Company, which is based out of New York, um, like upstate New York, and uh, got together. And Schmaltz Brewing Company, let me let me rewind here. Schmaltz Brewing Company does a lot of pulp, pop culture themed beers. Um, in previous years, they have done a Jack Kirby beer for Jack Kirby Day. Um, friend of the podcast, Ron Mars, like, and uh, a bunch of um, Jack Kirby inspired uh, creative talent in comics go there on Jack Kirby Day, they drink this Jack Kirby beer, they do sketches and autographs, and it's a big Jack Kirby party. Um, well, they have, Small Spring has also teamed up with the Federation of Beer, 
and they did um they've done four i think they they were releasing their fourth star trek themed beer um they have the vulcan ale the um klingon warnog uh i don't remember the other two well the, the one they were releasing is the voyage to the northeast quadrant um and like a golden ale uh, for Star Trek's 50th anniversary. And so offside at a place called Beer Culture, we got to meet the brewer of the beer and a couple of um, promotional guys from the company, as well as the head of the Federation of Beer. And uh, we sampled all of the uh, the Star Trek-themed beers at this really cool craft beer bar that had good food. Um, and that was like one of my favorite experiences. And they gave us a free hat. So, you know, yay on them. Yeah. Uh, the... The beers were fantastic. You know, I, I drank the uh, Voyage to the Northeast Quadrant. Uh, really good beer. In fact, uh, you know, I've been looking for it here in Texas. Uh, Paul and I made a connection with the with the Schmaltz Brewing guys, and you know, want to do a deeper interview with them for Three Beers and a Scotch. And so, you know, part of what we do in in Three B One S is we drink. And so I can't do that without their beers. So uh, trying to find it in Texas has been fun. But, Paul, I did find a local distributor who distributes it here. And so he hooked me up with the stores he's been selling it to. So uh, I, I should I should have a supply of uh, what the distributor characterizes as the 50th anniversary Star Trek brew um, here soon. So pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, we had a great experience at Star Trek Mission New York. Now, I will say... To you know, it, 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 to be honest, and I said this in the video as well, that mm -hmm. the show floor was very yeah. lackluster. And I said, you know, in, in retrospect, only, it, not only was the show floor lackluster, only about half of the vendors were actually selling product. Right. Um, the biggest booths, like NASA, Smithsonian Channel, um, there was a, a prop shop, um, like the biggest. The biggest uh, vendors of the, the show floor and three video game vendors weren't selling anything. Right. Yeah. Um, so there was very little to actually buy on the show floor. It was and that was very frustrating. You know, uh, I love me some panels and, you know, I love to go to a convention and buy a bunch of stuff that, you know, is new to you that maybe you've been hunting for. Uh, and it was so disappointing that the show floor was so limited and, you know, the the show was uh, owned and operated by Reed Pop and uh, CBS All Access. And the way the licensure works in Star Trek now is that CBS owns the television rights and Paramount owns the film rights. And it, fe it felt very much like the only things that were being offered on the show floor were things that were licensed by CBS and that CBS had a direct hand in. Um, the only – really, with the exception of just a few items, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, uh, everything on the show floor was stuff that's brand new in production right now that you can buy online right now because it's currently being made. It's not something – that was released 40 years ago. It's not something that, uh, you know, is out of production. It's all currently produced items. And that's frustrating because when you go to a Star Trek 50th anniversary convention, you expect to see all corners of Star Trek fandom represented. And so it was very surprising to me. It doesn't mean that I expect to see pirated uh, things, things that 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 aren't weren't appropriately licensed at the time. But I would have hoped to have seen some antique dinky toys, 
you know, the old, you know, metal starships and whatnot from, you know, 30 years ago. I would have I would have liked to have seen those kinds of things. Yeah. Those things weren't present. The only thing that I picked up that was this is what, what I would call vintage. Um, when I have been looking for a long time for a uh, uh, album by Brent Spiner where he records lounge music. And it's called Old Yellow Eyes is Back. And it's been out of production for a long time. And I found a copy of it at one of the booths. And I, I truly, I, I think he may have had some contraband there. Contraband, not that it was illegally produced. But I'm not sure that uh, that was the kind of stuff that CBS was looking for on their show floor. Because it seemed very out of out of sync with everything else. And that was my big disappointment. I had, you know, I traveled to New York uh, for, for this convention. I had budgeted to spend... A ridiculous amount of money on you know Star Trek stuff, and I bought very little. I mean, I, I was I was planning you know one of the things about you know New York City and cities like it is you can buy luggage anywhere in town. <laughs> you know, there's always a place where you can dodge in and yeah. buy an extra duffel bag or something. And that was my plan. I planned on bringing back that much stuff. Um, the one of the things I found very disappointing is that really the only the only real choice in like T-shirts and whatnot was the convention store. That's the official Star Trek New York convention store, uh, which had a selection of T-shirts. And, you know, I really didn't care for many of those. I didn't really like any of the. I didn't buy yeah. a single T-shirt. The, the only T-shirt that I got that I actually actually like, too, um, was given to me um, by the folks at Star Trek Online. Right um, of their, uh, you know, NCC seventeen oh one F. I think is what it was. Yeah, and uh, you know, it was a. I, I, that's the only T-shirt I got. I didn't like any of the ones at the actual convention store. I didn't like most of the product at the convention store, except for one thing that I had to have, and it sold out on the first day. So I'm glad I got it. Um, was the Quarks bar glass? Yeah, and I bought one as well. Um, you know, as VIPs, Paul and I had access to the convention store the day before the convention started. And so, uh, you know, uh, we went over there and I picked up the Quarks bar glass and I did pick up a shirt. It wasn't a T-shirt. It was a it was a uh, work shirt, you know, one of those button ups like, you know, uh, your your mechanic would wear. And it was like Starfleet Corps of Engineers, uh, which is really cool. I like the shirt. That's, but that's the only garment there at the convention that I liked. In fact, one of the things that I was I was really looking for was a Star Trek ball cap. And I couldn't find a single one that I would have bought. I was given one by the guys at uh, uh, Federation of Beer, Schmaltz Brewery. But it was it was very disappointing in some of the selection. You know, I'm used to going to conventions and there's a bazillion T-shirt vendors there, right? Uh, and there just wasn't a whole lot of choice. Now that said, I enjoyed the show floor. Uh, Paul, as Paul said, you know, we 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 uh, got to play Star Trek on uh, the the Star Trek virtual reality game, uh, which hasn't been released yet. We got to play the beta version, and it comes out uh, right around Thanksgiving, and that was a fucking blast. Yeah, that was great. I mean, the the virtual reality was just amazing. And, you know, I was the navigator. Paul was the tactical officer. Um, I wrecked the ship twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and we failed our mission terribly, just putting that out yes. there. Yes. How does the game work? I mean, is it for PC, for consoles? So it is for both. Um, it's for the Oculus Rift as well as the PS4 VR. It comes out later this year. It's Star Trek Bridge Crew is what it's called. And um, you play it. You can play it online. I'm assuming you 
pretty much have to play it online. And like Aaron said, you know, there were four of us, and uh, it's from Ubisoft. So there was an Ubisoft representative playing the captain. Um, this is in the video too, so check out the video if you're interested in it. Uh, but we had, uh, you know, it, 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 we were like we beamed. I shouldn't say beamed in. We warped in um, to save. I don't know that we were playing the Kobayashi Maru, but. Um, you know, we were supposed to save some folks, uh, you know, beat and transport them in. And, uh, we were getting attacked by Klingons and, uh, I thought it was a blast. It, it's yeah. so cool. You know, you have the VR helmet and, you know, you have these like controllers in your hand and you do things and, you know, you look down and you have hands and you're pressing things. It was such a cool experience. Well, and it was nice the way the stations worked together. So I was the navigator and, you know, I can I can steer the ship and do all that kind of fun stuff. But if the engineer doesn't give me any power, I'm not going to be moving very fast. Yeah. And so that was one of the problems is that I'm, I'm steering my heart out, but I ain't going anywhere because, you know, the engineer wasn't giving me any power. Um, but it was, it was super fun. I'm not much of a, of a gamer guy in terms of video games, but I, I got to have this game. This game was a fucking blast and we only played for what, 20 minutes, Paul. Yeah. Something like Uh, that. But it was a hoot and a half. And I mean, I can absolutely see how, uh, how much fun this is going to be online, you know, playing with your friends. One of the things that concerns me, though, is some of the things are a little buggy right now. You know, they're still working and it's not fully developed. In fact, they would not let us take video of it, uh, you know, of our experience because not everything is finished. It's due out in two months. Yeah. <laughs> that seems a little strange to me that they're, that they're still, you know, working on it this late in the game. But uh, uh, I guess that happens. But it was it was a hoot and a half, and I'm I'm absolutely going to be getting in on that. I just got to find out if my PC will support it. But uh, wow, that was super fun. That was super fun. And Paul, you played uh, Star Trek Online as well, right? Yeah, I played Star Trek Online, which is now uh, available on um, PlayStation Four. It's been available for he said six years on PC, but finally coming to consoles, Xbox One and PS Four. As of now, it's available now, free to download, free to play. Um, <clears throat> Has both might, space action and on the ground like a away team action, and it was fun. I had a blast. Say, with it. I might give it another shot. I played it when it first released, and if anyone's played MMOs when they first release, there's usually a lot of problems early on. Right. My problem with it was it didn't feel like Star Trek. So there was a mission that the best example I can give. There was a mission where you land on a planet to get an alien artifact. And another race shows up, and instead of any sort of negotiation or anything, the mission parameters say, kill them all before they can get to the uh, artifact. (laughs) And it's like, that is not Star Trek at all. But the spaceship (laughs) combat on that game was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, the the mission we played involved the Borg. Um, Now, it's funny, because we had already had a, a, a scheduled appointment to talk with the folks there. Um, you know, we interviewed the lead designer for Star Trek Online, um, actually. But, you know, I, I walked up to the booth and, you know, I'm looking around and I'm like, holy crap, that's Denise Crosby just sitting there. <laughs> so I got to meet Denise Crosby at the Star Trek Online booth um, because she's one of the many, many voices that are people that lend their voice to the game. Um, they have a lot of people there. John Delancey was at the Star Trek Timelines booth. Um, just kind of there signing autographs for free and taking pictures for free um, away from the autograph room um, where, you know, it was like 30 to 40 to 80 bucks, depending on who you wanted to meet or take pictures with. 
John Delancey is one of the few Star Trek-related uh, celebrities that I've seen at a convention. And that was a tiny comic book convention years ago. And, yeah, he just had a a little table there where he was signing stuff. Yeah. It was a we, great uh, experience, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. We, we uh, got our picture taken with the Deep Space Nine cast, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, uh, I, I got to tell you, it was nice getting your picture taken with them because they all seemed like nice people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, Rene Aubergenois, you know, shook my hand. Armin Shimmerman shook my hand. Uh, and that was cool. I mean, you know, I, I know that that doesn't sound like much, but when you've had these celebrity pictures before, Stephen Amell, uh, yeah. where he doesn't even touch you, <laughs> you know, he pretends he's he's touching you. Uh, it was nice that, you know, that, that they that they were laughing and having fun amongst themselves. And, and not just shook their hand. You know what I noticed about Armin Shimmerman? He actually dressed up for the pictures. Yeah. Like yeah, he, yeah. He wore a suit jacket. for the pictures. Yeah, yeah Jack. Yeah. You know, that was like okay. Like he's he's a cool dude. Yeah. No, I they 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 seem to enjoy each other's company and they seem to enjoy their fans and that's really nice. Um, you know, I we, we we talked about the show floor. What I didn't like there. I also had some recommendations uh, for the folks there at Mission New York. Uh, I think they miss a huge opportunity in that VIP lounge because you think about it. You know, they have all these people in the VIP lounge who paid $400 uh, for the VIP experience. And so that, that would suggest that these are people with disposable income. I think they should be selling to those people in the VIP lounge. I think that uh, they should have vendor-sponsored you know, breakfast, uh, mm-hmm. vendor-sponsored lunch, you know, where you come in, you know, maybe there's a, a vendor, vendor-sponsored happy hour, you know, where the vendor, like, I mean, how awesome would that have been had one of those, you know, Star Trek timelines, Star Trek uh, 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 virtual reality, bridge crew, sorry, Star Trek bridge crew, come in and brought you a designer and talked to you while you're mingling, you know, I mean, it. W- I think that would have been cool. They did have two celebrity conversations in the VIP lounge. And I'm going to also throw celebrity up in air quotes because I'm sorry, I don't think Rod Roddenberry is a celebrity. Uh, uh, you know, bless his heart. I appreciate that he's the son of Gene and that he, you know, produces a, a really good Star Trek podcast uh, called uh, Mission Logs. But I just really don't regard him as a celebrity, even though he's going to be on he, he is on the writing team for Star Trek Discovery. He hadn't done anything yet, in my opinion. Uh and they also had Brandon Braga on Sunday, which I wasn't there for and also wasn't a big loss because I'm not a big Brandon Braga fan. But, you know, I think more of that kind of thing happening in the VIP lounge um, would, would be beneficial. And I think in particular, if they're not wanting to compete with what's going on on the floor, like, for instance, they had the Rod Roddenberry thing while one of the big pa- panels was going on, didn't they? Wasn't that yeah, during while the, the, the discovery next... panel was going on? Yeah. I mean, that's just a little ridiculous. Um, but, you know, that that period before the show starts and you know so many of the vips get there an hour before the show starts and hang out in the lounge so that they can get early access to stuff um i just think that's a that's a huge missed opportunity and i think there are vendors out there who would love to come in and you know bring donuts and coffee and have an opportunity to talk to somebody who's got money to spend so but all in all big thumbs up on this convention i'd absolutely do it again uh, I would just hope that the show floor would be uh, would be a little deeper. And that was not just Paul and I saying that. We had a couple of conversations with people at the convention, and they all said the same thing. You yeah. know, that the show floor was, was was a little skimpy. So good stuff, though. Yeah, good, yeah stuff. good stuff. And again, check out the YouTube channel. 
youtube.com ideology of madness because there's just we filmed most of, the, of our experience there so um you know we weren't able to film in any of the panels so you're not going to see any of that but yeah that was frustrating too uh, we were not allowed to uh film we weren't not allowed to uh, audio record they were very strict about that yeah. And I, I will say, you know, we, we, we attended the Star Trek Discovery panel hoping and, and, and kind of expecting that there would be some real announcement there because they're starting – they've started uh, shooting up in Vancouver uh, this week. Yeah. And they haven't even announced the crew yet. And so we thought, well, you know, maybe they'll do what they've done in – you know, with the Marvel movies and walk out – whoops, sorry about that <laughs> – walk out the cast – Maybe not have them address the audience, but say, hey, here's your captain, here's your lieutenant commander, here's your this, here's your that. Um, and when we sat down, the uh, you know panel moderator came out and he says, uh, okay, you know, there is we, – we have to really stress. There's going to be a special message on the screen. Absolutely no recording, no cameras, no nothing. You cannot record this. This is a special statement from Brian Fuller. But let me address expectations. We're not going to tell you anything today. Yeah. And on top of that, like it, it was ju- they didn't not only did they not talk about anything new, they didn't talk about anything that was already announced. <laughs> um, you know, they didn't yeah. talk about number one or, you know, the, 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 the female lead of the series or anything that was actually even already announced. They, they didn't yeah. talk about uh, any story details at all. Yeah. People got up and left this panel. In fact, by the time I left at the end of it, uh, the hall, which was the main hall, and again, the hall that holds you know five thousand people, uh, was mostly empty. Yeah. But, what and did every, they talk about then? Not a whole lot. Not, they their, their past, their writing experience. Yeah. You know, the, the, it was it was Nicholas Meyer, you know, who uh, wrote and directed Star Trek Two, um, uh, directed Star Trek Six. Um, you know, so you had Nicholas Meyer there who's on the writing team and he was pretty snarky Yeah, <laughs> the whole thing. I mean, just just rather a curmudgeon. Uh, and I forget the other woman's name, Kirsten. Kirsten Beyer. Thank you, Beyer, uh, who, you know, is also on the writing staff, but also writes for ID uh, uh, edits over at IDW Comics. She edits the Star Trek books over there. Um, that was uh that was all, you know, that was it was a lot of conversation about what they've done in their past and kind of the idea, uh, not like the 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 kind of stories they're going to be telling, but, uh, you know, some of the things that are motivating them. Uh, but it was very general. It was very, very far removed from from what we're actually going to be getting in, in Star Trek Discovery. So it was disappointing. I, and in fact, it was probably the most disappointing panel that I attended. I did enjoy the IDW Star Trek comics panel uh, yeah, with was- John Byrne. Uh, I, I was disappointed, you know, they were selling an oversized, uh, comic, almost like one of those old treasury editions and they sold out. I was going to get one and have John Byrne sign it and then have a picture of me Byrne stealing it, you know, right there in front of him. But, uh, they were sold out of that one. But John Byrne was, you know, he doesn't do many conventions anymore. Uh, and he was actually fairly entertaining in, in that, uh, panel. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, it was a good show. It was a good show. Some things they can improve upon, uh, but it was a good show all in all. Yeah. So uh, why don't we talk about some comics, Aaron? Well, I did. I talked about John Byrne. Oh, yeah, what else did. do you need to talk about? We did We did what we had to do. We have completed our contractual obligation. Box checked, Paul. Done. All right. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about Alan Moore for a second. Because if you notice, we haven't talked about Providence on this podcast in a little while. 
Right. And part of that is that it's just hard to digest, so you have to really be in the mood to read it. Um, but Alan Moore has announced that he's retiring from comics again? Because I thought he retired like five years ago. Five, yeah. maybe more. Yeah, it... it in fact, I remember you know hearing that he had retired from comics, and so every time I saw a new Alan Moore comic coming out, I'm like, "Oh, it must have been something that was already in the hopper." And then they kept coming out, and then you see him being interviewed about his current comics work, and I was like, "Oh, I guess, I guess he's out of retirement." Yeah, I guess he's out of retirement, but he says he has 250 more pages worth of comics basically to write, uh, including another League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and things like that, and then he's done again. Uh huh. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I think. <laughs> And maybe this is sacrilege to say I'm I'm ready for him to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is one of those concepts that I should absolutely love, and I like the concept, but I have never liked any of the comics. Yeah, I, I liked the first two, I believe, but since then I haven't really dug it at all. But well, I think uh, you know he, he, his days of writing like whatever happened to the Man of uh, Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, I think they're done. Yeah. Yeah, well, so long, Alan Moore. It was good knowing you. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to attend the retirement party. Yeah. And the yeah. unretirement party. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about this week's new Superman, issue number six, written by Pete Tomasi, art by Patrick Leeson. Or, yeah, Patrick Leeson did this week's issue. Um, concluding the first arc of Superman and Son. You know, we we loved this book at the beginning. It's it's releasing bi-weekly. And, uh, you know, there there were some horrible things that happened in <laughs> issue two or three, I believe, to our beloved crypto. And, uh, you know, it, that, now that the storyline is over, let's talk about how it wrapped up. So uh, both all three of us read it. So why don't we let uh, Wayne, because, you know, Wayne hasn't spoken much because he wasn't at Star Trek Mission New York. Loser. Um, <laughs> what do you think of Superman number six? I I am not going to bury the lead on that that uh crypto is back. Yes. And I, I was so happy about that because I was afraid they were going to still, you know, just leave him gone. Um over I like the issue a lot. I like that it wrapped up the storyline. There is some art panels in here that I just I would love to have like in poster. Particularly there's one page where Superman's on the moon and he's put the flag back up behind him. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, I have really missed the spit curl mm -hmm. <laughs> because, you know, of course it's back with the Superman. Yeah. The, there, there's a lot of iconic imagery in this book and let's not uh, forget, you know, in keeping with some of the wonderful things they're doing in rebirth, uh, the gorgeous cover of, you know, Superman and son, you know, shooting their, uh, their heat vision, up towards the title card. Uh, I, I just think that's beautiful. But even the variant cover where Superman is taking out the Eradicator, you know, on, uh, over the surface of the moon. Yeah. Also gorgeous cover. Uh, I, I love both of them. You've got some some super great imagery and I love, you know, Crypto's back. So I was automatically happy about that. But, you know, the scene where Crypto gets a half page spread of just holding down the eradicator. Yes. Yeah. Sit, boy. I, yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, I love everything about this book. I, I have literally no complaints about this book. I am very glad the storyline's over. I enjoyed the storyline a lot, but yeah. I'm noticing that the uh, these launch storylines seem a little bit long. 
And I'm not sure why that is because they're coming out bi-weekly, but... See, uh, Wayne, I, I actually have to say, un- uh, this one, for me, didn't drag as much as the um, the Doomsday book. Yeah. yeah. The Doomsday one seemed to really drag on. This one didn't, but I think if there were one more issue of it, it would. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I was ready. It wasn't dragging, but I was ready for it to be done and move on to the next story. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, overall, I enjoyed the story. The art was great. You know, it wasn't just Pete Tama- or Patrick Leeson the entire time. Um, you know, they had a couple of other artists, all of whom did a great job. Uh, I think yeah. Doug Mankey did issue five. We didn't talk about issue five, but Doug Mankey yeah. did the art on that one. You know, I love me some Doug Mankey. If you can, oh, yeah. if you swap off Doug Mankey and Pat Gleason on a book, I mean, they, they, they cut, they're cut from the same cloth. Right. So, you know, not only do the styles work together, but they're both excellent artists. I, uh, I love, uh, Superboy's, uh, costume. And can I just say, I'm thrilled that we're calling him Superboy. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I am. I, I am thrilled because it sure did look like for a while that he was going to go by a different name. Uh, so I, I, I love that we're embracing that. You know, I love that Superman takes him up to the uh, Justice League Watchtower and uh, introduces him to Batman and Wonder Woman. And, you know, Batman's got his typical scornful look. Uh, Wonder Woman just seems you know, just joyful to meet him. Uh, yeah, that's the one thing I'm wondering about is. From a timing standpoint, uh-huh. does this take place before what we've been reading in action or after? I, I would I'm say, not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I would say probably before. Maybe yeah, no. It would, you're right. It would have to be after. So Wonder Woman's already met him at that point then, and yeah, would just be not ha- as Superboy. Exactly. So I like the Superboy logo too, because when yeah. he says Superboy, it's in like a logo. Yeah. With oh. a uh, an S shield that's a little bit different. Can we talk about one of the most important pieces of this storyline that we haven't talked about yet? The re- sure. The return of Bibbo and yes. Hacken. And oh, Hacken. Yeah. Yeah. I was so happy with Bibbo. He yeah. was always one of my favorite supporting characters. And just getting a chance to see him and that he's the, uh, you know, he has a moon rock that Superman dropped off for him. Yeah. You know, I love that Bibbo's back. And I know you guys didn't read Hitman, but seeing Hacken again was awesome too. So I loved those characters together. Hacken was yeah. um he was a you know basically a barfly ad uh in the Hitman book. I you know it is a little odd to me how quickly the league has embraced, you know, our Superman. Uh but I am I am willing to let that go. I can suspend that disbelief. I you know the the whole world is like Superman's dead, long live Superman. <laughs> you know. And what I, what I find amusing is is that and we can talk about this over in Aquaman as well, but Superman has immediately filled that gap of being the nation's hero, being the world's hero. Whereas the super, the new Fifty Two Superman was not. He was he was kind of an outsider. You know, he wasn't he wasn't that iconic superhero. And he this character has immediately stepped into that, and everybody seems just willing to embrace it. Well, yeah, because yeah. you know what I don't get from a storyline standpoint why that would be, but from just a sheer character standpoint and what I want out of Superman, that's what I want. I want him yeah. to be the exception I, I, hero. I think what the editorial board at DC has just decided is let's just do it and not worry about how he got there. 
right? Let's just go ahead and make that change as opposed to telling a long story of how he earns everybody's trust and, and gets that name because, you know, he just is, is immediately that guy. And I, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm happy that they did that shortcut. I generally would not be, but this is something I've wanted for so long. Uh, I'm happy to forgive it. Agreed. Yeah. But yeah, fantastic book. I highly recommend this. You know, uh, people have asked me, uh, including our, our, you know, our, our good friend Andrew. But you know, I have folks ask me, you know, which Rebirth book should I be reading? If you're not reading Superman, you are missing out. Yeah, because this this book is one of my favorite of the Rebirth books, and there's a lot of good Rebirth books out there. But this is this is one of, if not my favorite. Yeah, I am all over DC's Rebirth books. I mean. I had been almost entirely out of DC until this, and it really has drawn me back in, especially with Superman and Batman. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about some Batman news. Um, it was announced since the last time we recorded that Joe Manganiello is going to be playing Deathstroke in the upcoming uh, Ben Affleck written and directed Batman film. I don't know who Joe Manganiello is. So Joe Manganiello, uh, he is uh, Mr. Sofia Vergara. Um, but he is also, he's also appeared in num- numerous films. He was, <laughs> he played Big, Big Dick Ritchie in Magic Mike. Um, he was in Sabotage and perhaps what he's most known for outside of Magic Mike is being on True Blood. He, uh, was a werewolf on oh. True Blood. Oh, see, I had my hopes up that maybe I'd actually seen it, but I dropped the show with all the werewolf stuff, so... Uh, I have no idea who the guy is. He was in the show at the very beginning. Very tall. Very tall guy. Um, And he also played Flash Thompson in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. But, you know, that was damn near 20 years ago now. Um, But I I think he is, having seen him in a couple of things, I haven't seen Magic Mike because I know that's the next joke. Um, But having seen him in a couple of things, (laughs) he certainly has the body build. Um for Deathstroke, and I think he's a good actor. So I think uh, I think he'll be really right for the role. Apparently, he was actually asked to uh, screen test to play Superman in Man of Steel, but was unable to uh, to play the role because he was uh, still on True Blood. So I uh, I think I think he's I think he's right for the role. And the fact that they're going with Deathstroke as the main villain in the Batman movie, I'm I'm good with that too because it's something we haven't seen before. I, I can honestly say I don't think I've seen him in anything he's been in. So I'll take your word for it, Paul. He's right for the role. I, I, okay. I think it's, it's, it's an exciting choice. And if, I'm surprised you haven't seen Sabotage. Sabotage is actually pretty good. I'd recommend checking that one out. So, Paul? Yes, sir. Um, was that it for our Batman news? No. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Stop getting so excited. Sorry, I was, I was highly excited. <laughs> Uh, there, there actually is one more thing that I want to mention, which is that Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, issue number 7, has been delayed until December. Good God. Like, come on. Like it's, I care anymore. Exactly. How many, how <laughs> many issues is this I'm supposed to say, I've already dropped the book. I don't care. It's How many issues is this series? Is it, I, thought it was, I thought it was 12. I think so, too. But, you know, I mean, it's just... If, if they could have killed... I mean, the fact that the series, it's nine issues, but the fact that the series is not actually good either doesn't help. But, you know, if they at least released it on time, I would have been more motivated to at least finish off the series. But that means we're not even getting the final two issues until maybe, if we're lucky, the series will finish June 2017. And, you know, that's just for a book that started in November 2015, mind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've lost me. 
episode. And it started off with so much promise and hype, yeah. and then for it to have hit these just stupid delays, um, and and to be such a shitty story. Yeah, uh, on top of that. I, yeah, I, it's just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Yeah, so that's a bummer. But yeah, one book that, that does a- get out on time is the bi-weekly uh, Batman uh, book from uh, Tom King, and I believe David Finch is the artist on the first arc. So, Paul? Yes, sir. Why don't you ever see Batman hiding in trees? <laughs> because he's Batman? No, because, because he's, he's so, so good, good at it. At it. <laughs> I ruined the joke. You uh, did. God. I, I rem- <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Batman number six, uh, you know, is the actually it's the epilogue, isn't it? Of the uh, Gotham yes. girl storyline. I am Gotham. Yep. So what do you guys think of, uh, the, of this uh, issue? I first I have to say I've really enjoyed this storyline. You know, it, it, we did a a big long review of the first issue, where Batman is is it, you know I, I, IDs a plane in distress that's going to crash, and so he sacrifices himself to save the plane, and he can save the plane, but he's going to die in the process. And at the last damn minute, uh, these two superheroes. Uh, come out of the sky and save the plane and Superman, and that is Gotham and Gotham Girl. And they are two Superman-like powered heroes new to Gotham City. And so the this, this storyline over the last six issues has kind of told the story of who these two are and tells the story of what would happen if a Superman grew up in Gotham. I got to tell you, I super enjoyed this storyline. It's a very different kind of Batman story. Batman's really more of a supporting character as opposed to the the main character. He, Batman really shows up more in the last two issues than he did throughout the, the, the run of throughout the run of the story. And I super enjoyed it. Wayne? So same thing, same here. I really have enjoyed the story all along. I like the interactions that Batman has had with them. You know, from the beginning, the whole he's trying to mentor the new people. And this issue, I only had one. I don't know if I have an issue with it or not. I'm not sure how I feel about Batman revealing his identity. Yeah, he's he's a little loosey-goosey with that. Yeah, I mean, I get that he feels a connection to her because she's kind of lost everything and it's the only way he's going to get through to her. Mm -hmm. But still, it's Batman revealing his identity. I, I never like that. The identity should be, you know, too big of a secret. I mean, right, right. No, it's sacrosanct. You know, yeah. He, I mean, that's he, the only that is my only qualm with the uh, the issue, though, was yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I kind of see why it happened, but I also kind of don't like it. Yeah, the uh, pencils are by uh, Ivan Rice and are just stinking gorgeous. Uh, the inks and color is amazing. Uh, I love the way Gotham Girl is drawn. Uh, you know, this this is an epilogue to the uh, previous issue in which Gotham dies, and you know both of them have been uh, psychically abused by Psycho Pirate, and so she's just broken. She's just broken. And you know, one of the things that we have learned about Gotham and Gotham Girls is that they got their powers artificially, and the more they use their powers, the more they use up their life force, and so they'll they'll rapidly age and they'll just burn out. And so, you know, Batman had really wanted to employ them before he found all of that out because there are some threats that even Batman can't handle. And, you know, he's like, man, I could use a, a Superman-like person in Gotham. I can train these guys and they can take care of the stuff 
that I just can't. You know, because he he had a Batman had a real sense of his mortality at, after the end of that first issue. I mean, he was asking the question, you know, Alfred, is this a good death? Would my parents be proud? You know, uh, so I, I, I dug this book. I dug where it where it ended. Um, I liked. I, I, I like Gotham Girl. I'm sorry that Gotham is gone because I kind of liked him too. Uh, but I like Gotham Girl. I'm hoping we get to see more of her. You know, I was happy we got to see Psycho Pirate back as a villain. I've liked the character ever since Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. And you don't see him a lot, but I love when they do him right. I, you know, I, I when I saw Psycho Pirate, I was like, oh, gosh, is, is this is this foretelling some kind of crisis thing? Is this going to tie into the – to the, uh, you know, Dr. Manhattan kind of thing. Cause you know, it seems like every time we see psycho pirate, there's, there's an anti-monitor involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so know? Aaron, funny. You should mention that. Yes. It has been announced that the, um, that this story plays into both the upcoming, uh, justice league suicide squad crossover and uh-huh. the overall story for DC rebirth. So really? you could be onto something there with that psycho pirate connection. See, see, that's why they dust that son of a bitch off. <laughs> you know when he shows up, even though you know he may not be an A-list villain because you don't see him enough. But when right. he shows up, bad things are about to happen. Well, there'll be some Kirby crackle in the sky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, someone's going to build a big machine and you can bet that somebody in the Superman family is going to die. Mm-hmm. And maybe a flash or two. So, uh, you know, I, I, I dug this book and, you know, the last page does have uh, Batman talking to Amanda Waller because all of this stuff got set up uh, apparently by Bane. And uh, so now, you know, uh, Batman is is on the road with the Suicide Squad to, uh, you know, figure out how all of this uh, came into play. So I, I, it was a good book. And, and I hate to say it. Damn it, Paul, I'm going to buy this crossover. <laughs> yeah, the crossover, and you know why? And you, 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 but you won't regret it at least for the art because Jason Fabok is the artist on it. Oh, uh, that's pretty hot. Yeah, so I am, I am, and it's. It, we say it's a crossover. It is actually a separate miniseries. Um, right. Issues of Justice League and Suicide Squad will, you know, enhance the story or whatever. But it, it is a self-contained miniseries. Um, okay, I'm, I'm happier about that because I thought I was going to have to buy Justice League, which has been a horrible book, or Suicide Squad which I just haven't been buying. But I want to do the crossover as well. So if it's a separate miniseries, I have no problem doing that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely on board for it. Uh, and, you know, you, you tell me Jason Fabok is writing the book or drawing sure. the book. No, I should say drawing the book. He's not writing it. Writing it is Joshua Williamson, who I'm also, you know, I, I also like. So sign me up. Yeah, I want to uh, see I'm... out of the, the whole building up to the Bane storyline, I want to see Bane get some real respect. Because the character to me, when he first showed up in Batman, he was the guy that figured out who Batman was and outsmarted him and broke him. And ever since, there's very few stories I think really give him that respect. They treat him either like a like dumb muscle or they just seem to forget the, you know, just the nobility of the character. Yeah, I see your point. So, I mean, I, let's hope so. Um, you know, with DC Rebirth revitalizing so many of our beloved characters, I'd be okay with that. Yep. So let's talk about TV. Black Lightning is coming I, to Fox. I am so excited. I love Black Lightning. I am, I, and I'm not. 
why aren't you excited? Would you rather it on the CW? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, because the-, the fact that it's on uh, Fox is – and I don't think this is a um, – it is a Greg Berlanti show. So I guess I'm just surprised that it's not uh, – you know, is, if it's on Fox, is it still going to be tied to that universe? Probably not. It could be. You never know. I mean, they they tied in even before they made the decision to move Supergirl over to C, uh, from CBS to CW. They 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 established that they could cross over. Yeah. So I you know I I am still not watching Gotham, uh, but I understand those who do are loving it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I God damn it, I love me some Black Lightning. I, I'm I, just I, shocked that they're actually going with the name Black Lightning. I figured at this point they would they would change Lightning. the name. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm a little curious about that as well. But I I think I, I could absolutely see a number of different ways to take this character. You know, uh, uh, Black Lightning's uh, uh, secret identity, Jefferson. I can't remember his name. Jefferson Pierce, I think. Yeah, um, is a school teacher. And so I could very much see, you know, setting that, you know, I, I could see like a, a Boston public <laughs> sort of setting where, you know, he's a school teacher. You've got some regular drama stuff going on around him, but then he's off fighting crime and, and doing stuff. I could see something more like a, you know, a, a setting in, in, in you know, in, in a school and having more, uh, you'd have some, some associated teen drama in addition to the uh, Black Lightning character seems like a really good opportunity to bring in Static Shock as well at some point, uh, you yeah. know, because I, you know, because I, I think those two characters uh, would have a lot to play off of each other, and it'd be a nice way to bring Static into a live action environment. I'm super excited. I loves me some Black Lightning. Loves loves me. Loves me. It was funnier. That was the first thing I thought too. Was uh, they could bring Static in and he could mentor him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe you don't want to do that in first season, you know, uh, you know, establish your character and then bring in you know somebody. But I mean, I could certainly see that as as building your team, yeah. right? You know, kind of like you got Team Arrow, you got Team Flash. That would certainly be a great way to build that. And since DC's got the rights to those milestone characters, bird nest on the ground, why they're not using some of that stuff is beyond me. Agreed. You know, I, I would totally. I mean, I I got to tell you. Uh, CW or Fox does a uh, icon and rocket show licensed to print money. I, that is such an untapped market. So I, I just ugh, man, and a, hard, and a hardware show mm. and, and a blood syndicate. Oh, Fuck. hardware. I'd be all about hardware. Yeah. Hardware would be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so one TV show that I am excited for is Supergirl season two. Uh, you know, and and the introduction of Superman there, and because of that, I picked up the Rebirth uh, Supergirl book this week. And I shouldn't say the Rebirth. This is Supergirl number one. Rebirth Supergirl, I think, came out two weeks ago or last week, whenever we weren't recording, because we did. Yeah, not talk that about sounds it. right. And so I picked up uh, Supergirl number one, written by Steve Orlando, um, and uh, I don't recall who the artist is off the top of my head. But Wayne, you picked it up with me. Yeah, I wasn't sure after some of the setup we'd seen. I kind of got the feeling they were trying to make this just like the TV show. And it's it's a touch of t- it's a touch of it. But um, it's not at all like like I thought that it was going to be almost an adaption of the TV show kind of thing and they didn't do that at all and I was very happy they didn't. And uh, I, I want to the artist is Brian Ching and um the reason I want to say that is because I loved the art on this book. Same here. 
Um, you know, it, it's very kinetic. There's a lot of energy to it. It's very youthful. Um, it is, a, it is a, a type of art that I think would play well to people who don't normally read comics and may just be checking this book out. It's got an independent yeah. sensibility to it. And it's interesting. We've had Supergirl through the New 52, but I don't – This I like the costume. I do too. And and this is a new costume. Um, and this Supergirl is the same Supergirl we've been getting in the New Fifty Two. They didn't reboot this character or anything like that. Um, you know, everything that has happened to her has happened to her. But she seems to have a different sensibility. She's a lot less. She's got angst, but it's more like teenage angst than it is like I hate Earth angst. <laughs> like, yeah. One she, thing I really like about the character, because if you're going to do a Supergirl book. I think you have to establish why is she different than Superman? Why does she approach things differently? Why is, you know, what is special about her? And they're doing a really good job of highlighting that she didn't grow up on Earth. She hasn't had all this time to learn her abilities. She hasn't had all this time to learn the technology. She came from a highly advanced race, and now she's using things that look like stone tablets to her. Yeah. And I like that they're dealing with that, that she was... She was ready to go to the science academy, and now she's struggling with school on Earth because it's also archaic to her. Yeah, I thought that was cool. You know, there's a, there's a lot of imaginative writing to this, and I'm not familiar with writer Steve Orlando. Um, I don't know where he came from, but he he seems to get the character. And I don't again, I don't watch the TV series. Um, I guess it's not as fam- similar to the TV series as as I thought it was. But you get, I, I guess, some of the same concepts, like the DEO and Cat Grant being. It, what seems to be a key player, things like that. So Yeah, so compared to the TV show, yes, the DEO connection is there. This being very different in that they didn't raise her. She's been assigned foster parents by the DEO. Because uh, basically it would be kind of like if they rolled back the TV show a bunch of years. Because she's already you know an adult on the TV show. Yeah. And here she is clearly still a teenager and going to school. They've given her a secret identity so she can learn humanity. Cat uh, Grant is a utter bitch in here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As well she should be. Um, yeah, it's it definitely has a different feel than the uh, than the TV show, but it's sim- very similar. I think somebody that watches the show and loves it could kind of get into it even from there. And, you know, if you're looking for, so I think what eventually we'll have is we'll have the Superboy book or the Super Sons book, um, you know, so you'll have your, your kid Superman, I, I, you know, and we've got our adult with kids Superman. I think this is going to be that middle gap, that teenage superhero book, because um, it, it feels, it has that feel to it. Um, you know, it's fun, it's youthful, it's vibrant, and it feels like a teenager book. And I enjoyed that about it. So have you noticed how much we've seen the Fortress of Solitude in the last, I don't know, three to four months? Because mm-hmm. uh, she visits the Fortress of Solitude in this one as well. He had, during his uh, basically death parade, the New 52 <laughs> Superman gave her the keys to the Fortress. Yeah. So they finally start kind of playing that up. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's her Fortress of Solitude now, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, Aaron, I'm not caught sure. up on Aquaman, but you did get caught up this week, and uh, I, 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 I've enjoyed it so far. I just haven't had a chance to catch up. What did you think of the uh, Aquaman number six? I know Superman was was guest starring in it. 
Well, and and you know, sometimes when when you have a hero guest star, it's just like a, you know, a walk on, right? But mm-hmm. Superman is all up in Aquaman's book this month. Um so much so it's almost a Superman book. Oh, okay. <laughs> in, in some respects. Um first off, let me just say that the while the uh the regular cover is nice, the variant cover is awesome. It is done in the style of the Man of Steel uh uh, you know how the how the computer would 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 give you the backstory, and it's always kind kind of do these embossed uh, images. Yeah, you remember what I'm talking about? That's that's what the cover the variant cover is on mm. Aquaman number six, and it's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. Um, written by by Dan Abnett. Uh, the the I really like the voices of these characters, and uh, I'm trying to find the title card on this. Here we go. Um, the uh, art is done by Brad Walker. The pencils are done by Brad Walker with inks by Andrew Hennessy. And the artwork is just amazing in this book. Uh, really good. Lots of lots of really strong action. Um, the story, you know, we, we when we read Aquaman number one, he was opening up his embassy here in the United States in order to show and create uh, – in order to show that, that the Atlanteans can work with the surface dwellers and to be able to establish that relationship. And of course, you know, things blow up. Black Manta, you know, he's, he just queers everything, right? So uh, while that was happening, while the embassy was, was being attacked, um, a United States submarine was sunk – uh, the USS Pontchartrain was sunk and apparently by Atlanteans, according to the United States government. And, of course, Aquaman denies that. So Aquaman gets arrested over the course of the storyline. He has since – you know, he, he surrendered himself to authorities but then realized he's got to get back to Atlantis to figure out what the hell is going on. And so he breaks himself out. And this is Superman saying, hey, we're not above the law. You've got to you've got to turn yourself back in. Let me help you solve this Atlantis problem. And so that that is where we get in conflict with Superman and Aquaman. And uh, there is a big showdown. And they demonstrate in this book that Aquaman is uh, pretty damn tough and can knock uh, Superman down. I mean, he there is a full page spread of Aquaman just knocking the living tar out of Superman. And Superman is very much the agent of the U.S. government here. And so that was what I was talking about before, Wayne, that Superman has – this Superman has really placed himself back in that iconic role that he is the voice of authority, right? He is not yeah, the outsider. If even the government is looking at him with any kind of trust, that's so different. Right. And so, I mean, you know, he very much goes out there as an agent of the government saying, hey, you're freaking people out. You got to stop this. Uh, Mira jumps in when Superman starts getting over on Aquaman. And so, you know, Superman's fighting you know, both Mira and Aquaman. And this was just a great book. You know, the next thing you know, Atlantis shows up on the shores because their king is under attack. Uh, and they're like, hey, you know, we can shut this shit down right now if you'd like. You know, by by just blowing you all to tar, and I mean, he's got you know, just some very Kirby esque sea monsters on the shore, in addition to all of this Atlantean Warcraft. Uh, it was a damn good book. I really like this book. Plus, there's a B story going on with Black Manta hooking up with this uh, criminal organization mm-hmm. and seizing control of it. 
this book was fantastic. Um, I, you know, I, they, they are writing a really strong Aquaman book. And I, I do curse the folks at DC Comics for having such beautiful artwork of Aquaman kicking Superman's ass because I'm never going to hear the end of this from Thistledown John. <laughs> never going to hear the end of it. <laughs> I, I, will, I will get caught up. This sounds like something I'd like to read. It's a gorgeous book, Paul. It really is. It, the, the artwork's just amazing. So speaking of gorgeous books and beautiful artwork, I picked. I, I'm a fan of uh, artist Frank Cho, and he has. Well, a, well, who isn't? Oh, wait, Greg Rucka. Greg Rucka. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So Frank Cho has a new uh, book written and drawn uh, by, created, written and illustrated by Frank Cho, colored by Marcio Meniz, um, from Boom Studios, called Skyborn. And uh, you know, I picked it up not knowing anything about it. I didn't check out the storyline. I didn't give a shit. <laughs> it's drawn by Frank Cho, and the only the only thing I heard was that it's Indiana Jones meets James Bond. And so I opened the book with, with fantasy elements. And so I opened the book, and the first page gets you caught up. Lazarus, after his miraculous resurrection, fathered three children: Abraham Skyborn, Thomas Skyborn, and Grace Skyborn. All three children were were blessed with superhuman strength, impenetrable skin, and immortality. This is their story. And so, you know, this the Grace Skyborn is the main character of this first issue. We don't really see much of the other two. Uh, characters that I just mentioned, and it is she is a secret agent on a mission to acquire um, a sacred sword. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil it just because no one's you know it, it, it's pretty much revealed early in the book that it is the sword Excalibur, and it, but it, it is a very James Bond with superpower superpower type um, issue. Uh, you know she's like a secret agent. She's trying to acquire Excalibur, things go horribly wrong. She kicks all sorts of ass in beautifully rendered action sequences, car chase sequences, and everything. It is just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Um, you get some fantasy elements to it, and I highly recommend it. I loved this first issue. It's just a ton of action. You know, you, you still don't know all the backstory yet. You still don't know who all these characters are. It is just a great action sequence, and it, it has hooked me. It's the opening sequence of an awesome movie, and um, so I am on board for issue two. So, Paul, question. Yes. They, these are Lazarus's kids. Are they immortal? Yes. Okay, so they're thousands of years old. Yes, they are thousands of years old. Okay. Um, and one thing that I do want to mention in addition to that is that the very last page of the digital copy is an ad for Beware the Beast Man, for he is the devil's pawn, Tarzan, on the planet of the apes. The Get out! The ultimate crossover from Dark Horse and Boom Studios written by Tim Seeley. Um, Take my money now. No yeah. joke. Take Paul's money now. <laughs> Take, I am, and it, it, it's it's classic Planet of the Apes, not um, you know current Planet of the Apes. Right. Uh, you know because you see uh, Doctor Aaron, help me, Zayas, Doctor Zayas, standing next to Tarzan on the cover. Damn it! I am so <laughs> on board. I, I I am so in. Yeah, yeah, that is that's hot. That is super hot. And, and another crossover that I might pick up the first issue of Jack versus Snake: Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, written by Greg Pak. Oh dear, <laughs> that could be fun. Yeah, no, I. Oh dear. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Throwdown in Chinatown, melee of the mullets. Um, 
I, I, I will pick up the first issue of that as well. Huh. But Skyborn, highly recommend. Uh, beautiful art, great action. Uh, you know, I, I can't speak much to the story because there's not much in the first issue, but it is a gorgeous, exciting, action-packed book. And one book that I do want to mention that I am also looking forward to, not a Boom Studios book, but coming from Dynamite Entertainment, is Flash Gordon, King's Cross Number 1, written by Jeff Parker and Jesse Hamm. Jeff Parker, he stepped away from those Dynamite titles after that amazing Flash Gordon series that he wrote with um, artist Doc Shaner. Now he is back in and doing the next crossover featuring um, Mandrake the Magician, uh, the two Phantoms, and Flash Gordon, and I cannot wait. It comes out in November. Yeah, me neither. I, you know, they they really lost me when they had uh, uh, Ben Acker writing those books. Yeah. I, the, the the Flash books or the Flash Gordon books were just terrible, yeah. and and Paul and I loved them before that and so i I'm, I'm really hoping that we that we capture the magic once again and i've got to imagine that they're getting a lot of that feedback um yeah. and that's why they're bringing jeff parker back because the guy's yeah. already doing something similar on in dc with the uh, future quest books so i've got to imagine that this is dynamite saying we we really need you because once you left these books people were kind of not happy with them and speaking of the hanna-barbera characters uh, future quest happy 50th anniversary space ghost what? Yeah, this week. Uh, yeah, this week. In addition to being the Star Trek fiftieth anniversary, was also the Space Ghost fiftieth anniversary. Can you imagine what a week of television that was back in the day? No joke. I mean, you, wow. you got both Star Trek and Space Ghost. I mean, two things that are just so utterly different than anything you'd ever seen on television before. That's awesome. That is pretty awesome. Well, let's talk about what's coming out next week in comic books. Yes, sir. Detective Comics number 940, which everyone's a little worried about. It's yeah, Rise I, of the Batman Part 7. I, I, I wor I'm worried about Tim. Yeah. I got some concerns. I got some deep concerns. I think, I think a lot of people are concerned we, as, as to what's going to happen to Tim Drake in that issue. Yeah, we do seem to be a little Robin heavy in the DC universe. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. They've, they've set it up for him to... Uh, yeah, the, the, they have made it pretty clear that the stakes are pretty high, so I'm a little worried. Well, and one of the books that I'm excited about next week, Doom Patrol number one. Right? I, you know, I, they, I, I, I think I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna give it a shot. I think no. I'm gonna give it a shot. I've always wanted to like Doom Patrol. I have rarely liked Doom Patrol. Uh, yeah, that was gonna be my. I was gonna ask why Paul was excited, but you're excited too, because. Doom, I always like the concept and the idea yeah, of yeah. the characters, but their books yeah. are always horrible. Yeah, but yeah. this is written by uh, – this is the start of DC's new Young Animal imprint, which is right. headed up by Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance. And But not just My Chemical Romance. He also wrote The Umbrella Society for Dark Horse, right. which I loved. Yeah, and Umbrella Society was really good, and I'm going to give it a shot because, like I said, I've always liked the idea of these characters. I've just rarely seen them used well. In fact, I really think that the, where they were used the best was in Teen Titans with Marv Wolfman. Yeah, agreed. Right? Uh, and Definitely. so I, I, I know that these characters can do great things in a story. I just I, – I, I did not care for the Grant Morrison take and the take of other writers. So uh, anyway, I'm, I, I'm, I, am, I am tentatively excited. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> Um, I'm also excited about Superwoman number two. Oh yeah, you know yeah. we loved issue one, written and drawn by Phil Jimenez. Uh, yeah. I can't wait for issue two. Um, Wonder Woman number six also due out next week. 
Yep, yep. So some great stuff from DC, and I know I'm only mentioning the DC stuff, and part of that is the fact that that's all we really have access to um, in looking at next week's books. Um, but definitely going to be picking those books up, and we will see you guys next week. Awesome. So, Paul? Yes, sir. Is there another convention for us to go this week? Um, oh, not for you. Maybe, maybe there's a Lost in Space convention we could go to. <laughs> well, I'm going to be somewhere. <laughs> Where are you going to be? Oh, you're doing the Halloween Horror Nights, but that's not a convention. No, it's not a convention, but it's still pretty I mean, cool. that's just that's just some silly, you know, carnival ride thing. You shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good week. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 